We are in Alma 47, and as you recall, we've just come off this battle, and we know that the Nephites have now had four years of peace. Um, Moroni has hoisted the title of liberty in every land. I hope you've had an awesome discussion of what your family's title of liberty is, what you have hoisted on your bedroom walls and on your house walls that reminds you of what you are fighting for. And so now we get to go to Amalekiah and see what he has been doing for the last four years. And so right off the bat, we know that he goes to the Lamanites and it tells us that he stirs them up to anger. He uses the exact tools of Satan to go against the Nephites. And as you recall, that battle wasn't very long ago. And their leader was scalped, and they raised the scalp on the tip of the sword. And these Lamanites are scared. They know that they outnumbered them two to one, and yet the Nephites still won. They also know that they were lucky to escape with their lives, that Moroni was generous and allowed them to escape. And those who would not covenant were not allowed to escape. And so this is what we're coming off of. And so a lot of the Lamanites don't want to. This, this is fresh in their mind. But the king wants them to. And so those who covenant or those who will go and fight, he turns over to Amalekiah to be the leader of them. And so the question that you have to ask right here is why in the world the king would appoint Amalekiah to be the leader? Because this is pretty quick. I mean, maybe it took a year, maybe it took two years. We know this represents a four-year time period, so we don't really have a timetable in this. But really, he has not had an entire lifetime to analyze Amalekiah and who he is and what his desires are and how he treats other people. But he has his other army leaders. He knows them. He has known them in their land and he he knows who he can trust. So it's so interesting to me that this king puts Amalekiah in charge and it just makes you wonder why. So anyway, that really all of this centers on desires and um intents. And so it really makes you think, why didn't the king analyze this and look through what could Amalekiah's desires and intents be? Because it would have spared this king a lot of heartache and it would have spared him his life. So anyway, Amalekiah is given charge and then he's also told by the king to go and get those who won't commit, who escaped. Lahontai is leading them and they escape to the hill Antipas. They don't want to fight, and the king gives him charge to go and compel them, which means to force them to join the army. Okay, in verse 4, this says, Now behold, this was the desire of Amalekiah, for he being a very subtle man, and that is a word that we describe Satan in the scriptures over and over, subtlety is a word of Satan, to do evil. Therefore he laid the plan in his heart to dethrone the king of the Lamanites. That's his goal. So the king should have analyzed and thought, okay, what could his possible motive be? What would his desire be? And so Amalekiah is thrilled. He's well on his way. 
Well, as you know, Lahontai goes, he takes those who would not, he goes to the top of Hill Antipas, which is really, really smart, so that he can see what's happening all around, get to a higher point so you can see who's coming. He goes to the Hill Antipas, and then Amalekiah comes with his forces, and he settles in the valley. Now, we, again, we don't know how much time passes. We know this is a total time of four years, so we don't know how long this is. But we know that Amalekiah sends an embassy up to Lahontai and requests him to come down. And Lahontai says no. He does it again. Lahontai says no. He does it a third time. And Lahontai would not. He would not. And those are strong words. Remember those words, would not. He knows better. And I love that because in this case, he does know better. He's right not to go down. Well, here's the lesson here. Does Satan ever let up? No, he tries three times and then changes tactics. And so the fourth time he sends and he says, you can come down with your guards and you only have to come part of the way. And the tragedy here is that Lahontai is ever tricked into thinking he is safe by coming just part of the way and with his guards. And we have to really look at this as Satan. And does he ever let up? Does he ever stop asking and trying to get us to do something we shouldn't do? No, he doesn't. He changes tactics because if he can't get you to come all the way, he's going to try and get you to come part of the way. Because once he does, he knows he can poison us by degrees and get us in the end. And so I love this story and what a great example it is, this actual account of Satan and what he does. So he convinces Lahontai to come, tells Lahontai that if he will come and surround the men, that he will deliver the army to him. Now, he has been given strict command from the king to not deliver up the army, which should be another tip-off to them of how oily and sneaky he is, how much he has paired with Satan. But he does. He delivers the army to Amalekiah or to Lahontai and says, let me be second in command. Well, the important thing here is it says in verse 17, now it was the custom among the Lamanites if their chief leader was killed to appoint second leader to be their chief leader. Okay, if this is a custom, don't they all know this? Lahontai knows this. So his alarm bell should be going off like crazy to not trust this man. He should know I'm a dead man. This man is coming after my job because if I die, he gets to be the leader. And so again, it's that whole analyzing desires and motives. So he he poisons, as you know, this famous story, he poisons him by degrees. And I love that little by little, little until Lahontai is dead. And that's so tragic and so sad. And it reminds me of the Mormon story that we have of the Indian on top of the mountain and the snake that's freezing. And the snake begs the Indian to take him down to the bottom of the mountain where the sun is so he can get warm and not die. And the Indian says, no, you'll bite me. And the snake says, I won't, I promise. And the Indian carries the snake all the way down the mountain. And right as he's going to put him down, the snake bites him. And the snake says to him, you knew what I was before you picked me up. Satan never, never 
changes his desires, never changes his motives. He wants what he wants from the very beginning. And if you are to analyze, what did Satan want in the council of heaven? What did he want in the very beginning? He wanted all power. He did not want us to have liberty or choice. He wanted us to serve him. And that motive never changes. What did Christ want? What did God want from the very beginning? God wants us to become like him, to be one with him and Christ, to join in the glory of creating worlds without ends and having eternal life with them and learning and being able to choose for ourselves and knowing what that's like. That motive never ends, never changes. So it's so important that this lesson teaches us again and again what to analyze what a person's motives and desires are and what are our motives and desires. So I love this. Okay, so they come back now. He's the leader. He has the whole army and they come back to the king. Well, the king's thrilled because as far as he knows, Amalekiah has done what he's asked him to do. And again, we don't know how much time this has taken. Okay, so the king comes out and I love that the king comes and they, I love the illustration of this, that they act as if they're reverencing the king. And the reason I love that is because we have this word subtlety and we have this word, um, let me look at it, fraud again and again in this chapter. And fraud is such a great word to describe Satan. It is representing something that it's not for something that it's not. It's a half truth. It's a lie. It's telling that you're going to get something. It's kind of like he did with his own lower judges that he flattered them. It's flattery. It's an illusion. It's not true. And so here they reverence the king. They bow themselves before the king in verse 22 and then stab him. And the reason I love that that's there is because it is such an illustration of fraud and subtlety and Satan who lies and tells us half truths. And so we need to be so careful that we analyze those desires and those truths. I love the scripture that says a bitter fountain cannot produce good water. A good fountain cannot produce bitter water. A man cannot serve two masters and we will know them by their fruits. And so this word fraud that keeps popping up, it is so important that we recognize that Satan is the master of lies and God is a God of truth. Okay, so they stab the king the servants are freaking out. They don't know what's just happened. They were referencing the king and then they kill him. So the servants run. They're terrified in as they well should be. Amalekiah brings his whole army now in to see and says, whoever loves the king, go chase the servants. Obviously, it's the servants or they wouldn't be running. So they chase the servants. Well, the cool thing about this is it says in 29, now when the servants of the king saw them pursuing, they were frightened and fled. And who did they join? They joined the people of Ammon, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And what I love about this is what an incredible blessing to these servants who probably at the time think this is such a great trial. They've left their homes. They've left their livelihood. They've left what they've known. They've been chased out, accused of murder, and they could feel so distraught. 
But they get to end up with the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. They get the truth. They get this people that are phenomenal beyond any people we've ever read about. And I love this. What a blessing and how much the Lord must love them and makes up for everything we suffer or lack, everything we think that we go through. What this ended up being was the biggest gift and blessing to them. Okay. So it tells us in verse 30, by his fraud, there's that word again, he gained the hearts of the people. Now the queen is very distraught. So she wants to hear the story. So he comes and tells the queen. And of course he brings his servant to corroborate his lies and his fraud and his deception. And the poor queen is lured by fraud to marry him. And isn't this so sad? And thus by fraud and by the assistance of his cunning servants, he obtains the kingdom. And it makes me so sad for this queen. Um, And it makes me sad for anyone who is tricked into believing any of the lies that Satan whispers and tells us. And here again, the queen should have analyzed. The queen should have looked. What could be his motives? What would be his desire? And Amalekiah knows he has all the time in the world to do and gain his what his ultimate purpose is and that is the kingdom and she should have known she was a pawn in his chess game and what he was playing and it does make me sad for her doesn't matter that she's a lamanite doesn't matter that any of these people are lamanite they don't know the truth and so yes they do wicked things yes they are evil people but they don't know the truth amalekiah and his people that flee with him do and they are so much worse they are evil 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 and have made a pact with satan and they are horrible. And so it's so sad for the queen and all of these Lamanites that are there. Okay, so it tells us in 36, this is huge, these dissenters having the same instruction, so the same playbook, the Book of Mormon, the scriptures, the brass plates, the gospel, the church, having the same instruction, the same information. They didn't have the Book of Mormon yet. We have it, but the scriptures, the same information as the Nephites, having been instructed in the same knowledge of the Lord. Nevertheless, it is strange to relate, but we see it again and again. Not long after their dissensions, they become more hardened, more impenitent, more wild, more wicked, more ferocious than the Lamanites, drinking in with the traditions of the Lamanites, giving way to indolence, which is plunder, robbery, and murder, and all manner of lasciviousness, entirely forgetting the Lord their God. It is so important that we know those truths that we are taught in the scriptures. No man can serve two masters. A bitter fountain cannot bring forth good water. A good fountain cannot bring forth bitter water. Amalekiah's intents and desires were evil from the beginning. And those never change. And he is willing to take as much time as it takes to get his desire. And here's the awesome thing of this. If Lahontai had continued to refuse, if he had continued to say no... He would have had the advantage because he was high on the hill and he would have seen the attacks coming. Just as the Holy Ghost gives us the advantage of pairing with God, we can have him as our constant companion. He can warn us and he can protect us and do and all of a sudden he allows us to have the advantage and be in a place where we are protected 
and God is at our back if we do those things that lie in our power to do and trust that he will always be with us. I love this story. I love this example of desires and motives and that we should question. We should judge righteous judgment and always pair with the spirit that gives us the truth and gives us the eyes to see. I love it. I hope you know the church is true. And more than that, I hope you know how much the Savior loves you.